We want to give a special welcome to our video audience and apologize for no video last Sunday. We've had some technical difficulties. My name is Sherwin and I'm the pastor here and we do have two services every Sunday and we have plenty of room for you if you choose to attend. So today we're going to talk about Psalm 103, one of my favorites. I wanted to start out by doing a little description of my hometown. This is where Diane and I grew up, Sioux Center, Iowa. And uh, to the folks that are watching on the video from there, a few of my high school classmates watch the videos quite regularly. And last time I was there, one of them told me about it. I said, you know, I'm glad that these people are watching it, but you know the problem with all my high school classmates? They got old. <laughs> I don't know how that happened. Sorry, guys. Um, but Sioux Center is a unique place in itself. Um, if you think of like Shelby, Michigan, and think 10 times more conservative, you got Sioux Center. All right, that's kind of what it is. And I was an unhappy kid there. My time there was not a happy time. It's not necessarily Sioux Center's fault. That's just kind of the way that I was wired. See, I'm not a jock. I was kind of bookish. And uh, so I, I didn't really fit in, you know. I'd rather go to the library than to a football game. That was uh, just not a popular thing in, in those days. And I was socially awkward. I described my life in Sioux Center as, well, you know, I had a horse. And I really liked this horse. He was a registered quarter horse. His name was Popcorn. And I rode him a lot. But when we had shows or parades, I had to wear cowboy boots. And I had some pretty expensive cowboy boots, but they were a size too small. So my feet would always hurt by the time I was done with that. Well, taking those boots off is kind of what it felt like when I left Sioux Center. I had freedom and comfort once again. And that's no reflection in those of you from Sioux Center who are watching this. And um, I'll give you my address if you want to come and discuss it with me. But anyway, it was a good deal. Um, there is in small towns all over America, like this one, you can see the grain bins on, on the side there. It's primarily an agricultural town, but there's tremendous pressure to conform. And it's no different from Muskegon or Grand Rapids or Holland or any place like that, in that people tend to pursue celebrity and wealth. You know, everybody wants to be a big shot, and everybody wants to be rich. And, well, that just doesn't work for everybody. You know, we all kind of want to be rich and famous and we get off the path that Jesus has laid out for us by pursuing that. And I felt this tremendous pressure to conform, so I kind of got into that some, you know. I couldn't be a jock, I couldn't be an athlete. I was more of a, of a scholar. And, well, there weren't that many other alternatives for it. But I was kind of a miserable kid and I remember I took comfort when I was a high school student in reading the New Testament. And I know that's weird, but that's what I did. And when I was 15 years old one time, I was in my room at home, it was at night, and I got on my knees and, and prayed that my life would always belong to Jesus. I made that commitment and I meant it. I even wrote the date in my closet. But I've gone off that path many times. You know, there's never a time when I didn't know Jesus. 
but sometimes I did forget his benefits. And I've learned over the years that radical attention to the teachings of Jesus can produce a radically happy life. I learned that back then. You know, I learned that if you're really following Jesus, public opinion means nothing. Now, there were several paths I could have taken as a teenager. I could have done the popular thing, which is to conform. Or I could have done the unpopular thing that was extremely attractive to me, which was drugs and alcohol. But I decided to become a Jesus freak instead because I found that Jesus' way was the best. And like I said, and especially for those of you who know me well, I have wandered off that path with alarming frequency. See, and that sometimes is the problem we have as seasoned Christians. We forget what it's like to not know Christ. And so we sink into the malaise of the rest of the world. And we want to pursue celebrity. I've done that, even as a pastor. I think, oh, I want to be the most famous pastor in Muskegon County or wherever I was before. And I would, you know, do things to draw attention to myself. And then God would come along and slap me upside the head and straighten me out again. But I've pursued celebrity, and I've wanted to be a big shot, and I wanted to be a big deal, you know, try to make a lot of money, that sort of thing. And I've gone off the path. But the values of Jesus are so different than the rest of the world. You know, his, his students, his disciples, they wanted the same thing. They wanted to be famous and powerful. And Jesus said, no, no, I'm, I'm here to serve. And if you're going to be my disciple, you're going to serve too. He kind of gives us his mission statement, Mark 10, 45. He says, the son of man, which is how he described himself, came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. He didn't come here to be served, but to serve. Serve and love, that's his whole theme. Big shots with big deals mean nothing to him. So if you want a radically different life, make Jesus the center of your life, and you'll find it. Now, Jesus had these disciples. They were teenagers when he recruited them. The, the way the system worked in those days, kind of like a master's degree, you had this rabbi who recruited students and taught them for three years and then sent them off to teach other people. And that's what Jesus was doing. It's a common practice in, in that day. He sent his disciples out with a different message, though, than the normal one. He sent them out with the good news. And they were all excited about it because they discovered his teachings so this, this is a passage from Mark 6 that describes how it worked. Then they were on the road. They preached with joyful urgency that life can be radically different. Right and left, they sent the demons packing. They brought wellness to the sick, anointing their bodies, healing their spirits. Now in these two little verses, there's a couple of phrases we need to pay attention to. One is joyful urgency. See, they had discovered Jesus' teaching. And they had discovered it was so different than what the world was teaching them. And they no longer needed to be oppressed by the world's values. They had no more need to be a big shot. They had no more need to be a big deal. They lived in the freedom to make things 
different, to make things better. And then I really like that phrase, radically different. That's got to be one of my favorite translations of the New Testament right there from the message. A radically different life means their values changed. How can I help you rather than how can I help myself? They had found out what was important to God and they were freaked out. They were happy about it. It says they sent demons packing. You know what demons are. I believe they're fallen angels, but they're evil spirits that come to give you a bad attitude towards life. That's their main function. They want to motivate people to have bad attitudes, to make you selfish, to make you harmful, inconsiderate, slanderous, destructive. And demons do flee at the presence of Jesus because they can't stand it. And it says that they were able to heal people. Now, if I could heal people, I'd run up to Mercy Hospital right now and empty the place. I don't have that gift. None of us do, but Jesus did. But he didn't heal everybody. He healed people when he wanted to use that as a teaching tool. Now, I believe the healings were real, but they always had a special message with them. I do believe they happened. So these disciples were having happy days, having discovered Jesus, just like I did in the early days, thinking, oh, this is great, you know, this is wonderful stuff here. But we forget so quickly. Sometimes we fall back, and our faith leaks away from us. At least mine does. And so through the years, what I've done is I've gone to certain passages of Scripture that pull me back. One of those is Psalm 103, and we're going to look at selections from it today. But it starts out like this. It says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. So this is an urging for you to be a blessing to God. It's interesting. Now, I'm using the Revised Standard Version for this psalm because I think it's the best one. But many of the English translations of this psalm say, Praise the Lord, O my soul. But I remembered from Hebrew, and I remembered this week again, I had to dust off my Hebrew and figure this out. But there's two words in Hebrew that are translated as praise in English. One is the word halal, which is where we get the phrase hallelujah from. And halal is praise, but it's just words. Now the other word, the word that's used here, the Hebrew word, and I'm almost afraid to say it. The Hebrew word for to bless is barak. And I'm not making a political statement, and I didn't write the Bible, okay? But that's what it is. And Barak carries much more of a punch to it than Halal. Barak means you are doing something. Halal means you're saying something. Barak means you're saying and doing something. So the the essence of this verse is God has blessed you, so do something to bless him back. Report for duty. How can I bless God today? Bless the Lord, O my soul. All that is within me, bless his holy name. 
What a great creed that would be for everybody. It's, like I say, it's so cool I can hardly stand it sometimes. It goes on, you know, and he explains some of these things. Whoever wrote this psalm says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Because we do forget. We get sucked in by the world. The demonic powers urge us to pursue being a big shot or pursue a big deal. And we forget the benefits of not being chained to these things. I wish that when I was young, I could have taken this more seriously and not pursued trying to be popular, trying to be cool. Oh, I wasted a lot of time on that and a lot of money. We forget what God does for us. We just simply forget. Then he lists some of the benefits here in this psalm. He says, he forgives all your iniquity and heals all your diseases. Forgiven. Isn't that a cool concept? All the time we've wasted trying to, to be a big shot is forgiven. All the time we've wasted pursuing material things is forgiven. And he heals all your diseases until the last one, of course, that takes you when he calls you home. But again, this, the promises here are so cool. We can rejoice and be glad in it. It goes on and says, He redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. Redeemed from the pit. Now you can read into that whatever you want. But I'll bet you that everyone here has been in the pit a time or two. We've all fallen flat on our faces into that nasty old pit. And he forgives us. He sets us free from it. He gives us free will to choose him. And he crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. That steadfast love uses the word in Hebrew, barith, which means covenant. He's made a covenant with us. He's not going to stop loving us. When we wander into the pit, he pulls us out. And face it, we all go into the pit from time to time. We're all a hot mess, you know. And we do get pulled into that pit from time to time. But he always takes us back. He crowns, he crowns us with this steadfast love and mercy. It goes on, it says, who satisfies you with good as long as you live so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. He gives you divine energy. He puts gas in your tanks when we let him. Yesterday, I had a software crisis because Microsoft doesn't always like to play with Apple. And my computers were being nasty. I spent six hours online with a, a gal from Apple, finally got it to work it. But I was pretty sick of it by the end. I did get to watch the Lord of the Rings while I was doing that. But I was sick of it. And then I looked at my notes. He renews your energy like the eagles. And he does. When we accept his invitation. 
Then they throw this one in. The Lord works vindication and justice for all who are oppressed. He does that through us. We're the ones that need to be helping those who are oppressed. We're his soldiers reporting for duty. And then he, we're going to skip a few verses, jump to this one. It says, the Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. For he knows how weak we are. He remembers that we are only dust. Uh, just get a good look at that. He knows our weaknesses. We all have weaknesses. We all trip and fall all the time. Like I said earlier, we're all basically a hot mess. You know, John Ortberg wrote a book that I've read a couple of times. It's called Everybody's Normal Until You Get to Know Them. And it's really true. You know, we're all a mess. God knows this. And yet he accepts us. It's completely amazing. It's the crazy truth about the gospel. Because we are all a hot mess, and yet he loves us as we are. We need to remember this. Always. And that's why we need each other. That's why we need the church. We need to remember what Jesus brings to the table. Sometimes we forget so often. Really, we forget. So when I was a kid growing up in Sioux Center slash Ravenna or Shelby or whatever, the predominant music was country music. And to this day, I cannot listen to country music without smelling horse manure. It just comes right in my nose for some reason. So I listen to other music. I listen to this kind of music. I listen to the Beatles. And this is their, their last album, and it's my favorite one of the Beatles, but they have a song on there called Get Back, and I'm going to sing it for you now. <laughs> but um, if you're familiar with the Beatles, you're familiar with that song, that song's going to be running through your head the rest of this worship service, because it's one of those that really gets to you. Now, the theme of that is partly because that was the time the Beatles were breaking up. And the reason they were breaking up is Paul McCartney wanted them to be a blues band, but their producer wanted to mainstream them. If you listen to the song on that album, The Long and Winding Road, there's orchestration in there. They wanted to turn the Beatles into elevator music, like they did with Elvis. And they said, no, we're not going to do that. They wanted to get back to the real raw music that made them famous in the first place and that a whole generation of us that are all old now really liked. It was good stuff. They didn't want to be like Elvis in Las Vegas and doing all that stuff, not this mainstream stuff. Unfortunately, this mainstreaming is what's happened to Christianity especially in Europe and America, is that we have taken the edge off of it. We've turned our allegiance to Jesus into elevator music. We've made it mushy nonsense, and that's not what it's all about. 
I want us to get back to the real, raw Jesus. Because when we do, we can have a radically different life. And I want that. And I think you do too. Freedom so that you don't have to be a big shot with a big deal anymore. We can throw those demons out and enjoy the life that Jesus has for us. We can retrieve the joy. And that's a good thing. Yeah, I think your relationship with Jesus is a lot like a marriage. You know, I've got the four steps up there on the wall. You know, you start out as a seeker. You're looking for somebody. And then the thunderbolt hits. You see this woman or man, whatever, and you start thinking, I got a future there. And then you go to step two, where you found this person and everything is wonderful. How could you find such a perfect mate? And that phase lasts generally about two weeks. And then you get into the tester phase, where you're not so sure about this. You're not so sure you want to do that. It works the same with your relationship with Jesus. You get distracted. And if you make it through that, you get to the keeper phase, which is where you can have maturity in your relationship. I believe our relationship with Jesus is just like the relationship with your spouses. It's better than the honeymoon as time goes on. I really like the stability of a long-term relationship. You know, I am so glad I don't have to go out on a date tonight. That would just, you know, bore me to death, among other things. I like stability in my relationships. And that's what Jesus gives us. Because no matter how many times we walk off the path, he always welcomes us back. And he welcomes us with grace and mercy. He intends to have that long-term relationship with us. So today I want to encourage you to rejoice in your eternal relationship with Jesus and remember the joy that he has for you each day. Uh, like I said earlier, when I was 15, I got down on my knees in my bedroom and invited him to take over my life. I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that right now. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, it's been a long time. As our friends from the Grateful Dead would say, it's been a long, strange trip. But you have welcomed me back every time I've walked off the path. And you want to welcome everyone back. So today, in this next moment of silence, hear your people as they express their desire to return to the path. Lord, we want back in. And like the prodigal son, we know we don't deserve it. But yet you give it to us. And we're thankful for it. So my prayer is for everybody in this room that you get back on that path. 
and began to experience the radically better life that Jesus has for you. Amen.